All right, so for some reason, when you're linking up audio there and here, you have to do like a clap okay, to make it the audio and the visual okay. match up. I don't know. I just saw that one time. Yeah. Or I've I just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of something like that, but I didn't know it had to do with the audio. Yeah, matching them go. up. Let's because see. last week, I forgot to press record on the camera. We forgot to press record. Uh, it, was, it was me. I was in charge of that. I had one job. I sit here and, and just ask questions. That was That's one job. But my other job was to press record on the video and I didn't. That's all right. We got it this week, haven't we? Yes. Yes, we do. So anyway, episode two. Here we go. Welcome back with my co-host, Faye Sheridan. <laughs> this is a creepy. <laughs> a little wave that the people who are watching the podcast can't actually see, see but... Um, yeah, anyway, so I think a good, I guess, carry-on yeah. from last week's episode would be to dive deeper into, and, you know, this is going to be module two of the eight-week, uh, the six-week course, menstrual mm-hmm. cycle course that is going to be open. We have a date now. We're going to be starting mm-hmm. on the 1st of November. Um, is module two, which is menstrual cycle dysfunction. So yep. talking a lot about... PCOS, endometriosis, hypothalamic amenorrhea, you must get a lot of clients or see, I mean, it's probably the majority of your clients, right? The people that come to you are experiencing some sort of Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle dysfunction. And so I guess just how, I guess how common is it you know, obviously these people are coming to you because they, they have these types of dysfunctions. But do you think that it's gotten worse mm-hmm. since you started uh, in this space? Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's just that we're becoming more aware of these types yeah. of things? It's definitely, I think we've just become more aware of it. And there's more education out there. So people are like, okay, this isn't normal. Like we are educating women to tell them that these dysfunctions aren't normal and we're educating them that the pill isn't the, you know, the band-aid, it's not fixing anything. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I see it a lot because that's why women only come to me because (laughs) they do have some sort of menstrual cycle dysfunction. And menstrual cycle dysfunction is, you know, we do have PCOS, endometriosis, PMDD, hypothalamic amenorrhea, but then we also have like period pain is a dysfunction. We should only be feeling like slight cramping. Um, heavy bleeding is is a dysfunction as well. So yep. um, we have all these names for certain things, but there's also just like, you know, severe yeah. PMS symptoms. Yeah, and I think, I mean, like growing up in an all-girls school, there were, you know, sometimes I would go to sick bay for whatever reason and there were girls in there that had such severe period pain that they had to go to sick bay and they had to get you know painkillers or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and you know I kind of I didn't realize that that was you know I didn't experience it myself but I I didn't realize that that wasn't normal like and for some for some girls it is normal and it's sorry I shouldn't say normal common Common, is the word so, you know, just because something is common and you hear about it a lot doesn't necessarily make it normal. Mm-hmm. Like I speak about the same thing when I talk about, um, you know, bladder leakage or yep. stress urinary incontinence in women who've 
had childbirth or, or given birth. It's common, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's normal. normal. Yeah. 100%. And so I guess what are some of the initial signs and symptoms of women who sort of know that something isn't necessarily normal? Mm-hmm. So I guess, and we're going to go through this in the course, it's a whole list of kind of um, psychological impacts, but also like physiological impacts as well. So, you know, um, extreme like heavy bleeding is is one um, acne is another, you know, like that hormonal acne around there. Um, loss of hair. So sorry, around that kind of jaw. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> for the people. <laughs> sorry, for the people just, just to have it. Um, no, yeah. So around that jawline, around like you know the forehead, um, that kind of T zone as well. Um, yeah, especially around the jawline, that real hormonal acne. Um, that's not normal, and um, you know, loss of hair but gaining hair in places that, you know, women don't want to gain hair. And that can be also, again, the jawline, um, where else, you know, like the side, down the side, side of the face. Burns, and yeah. yeah. More so like on, more on, on the arms. Yeah, you like can that. get that as well. Um, you know, some people do have like, you know, thicker, thicker hair, hair than others. Um, but yeah, it's that, that hair that you gain. It could be the snail trail as well, like around the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, gaining hair where women don't necessarily want to gain hair and losing it where they don't want to lose it, like on their head. On the head, yeah. Um, you know, weight gain is another as well, but you obviously have to look at other, you know, factors. Like are they eating in a calorie surplus? It's not just hormones. We need to look at the whole body. Mm. Um, so weight gain can be another um what else have we got lethargy like extreme um lethargy fatigue in that luteal phase um i could go on headaches migraines yeah (laughs) so all of these things are red flags which we'll go over in the um in the course but they're telling us something yeah so like a migraine for instance or a headache especially in that luteal phase that's usually a sign of ex- excess estrogen. Mm-hmm. So they may not be ovulating. And so why are they not ovulating? We need to get them to ovulate. And, you know, if they are ovulating and they still have issues with migraines, is it a clearance thing? Are they not clearing estrogen through, um, you know, the detoxifica- detoxification pathways through the liver and the gut? So these little signs, they all tell us something. Um, you know, acne, um, it can be related to excess androgens, um, you know, low zinc as well. So we need to be looking at why they're experiencing acne. So. Yeah. So lots of different so like many. signs and symptoms. And, you know, sometimes like it might not even be menstrual cycle related or hormone related. Like, you know, if there is something that's not quite right, you know, get it checked out because it's not always like hormones like it could mean something else as well but still in saying that it's still not necessarily normal Mm -hmm. definitely yeah and so I guess going on from that what do you think are the main reasons for experiencing these signs and symptoms especially in I mean we can talk about different age groups as well especially in sort of like you know younger women or in their Mm -hmm. 20s and 30s or also you know women who are in their 40s and 50s can also experience like Mm -hmm. these types of symptoms as well yeah yeah because just touching on that like these symptoms that women experience in their you know reproductive years they're very common for 
a woman going through perimenopause because we have this natural occurrence of progesterone decreasing and estrogen doing this roller coaster. Um, so some of those symptoms are normal for perimenopause, but they're basically perimenopause symptoms that women are experiencing in their reproductive years because they have, you know, a hormone imbalance because they're not ovulating. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, there's there's a few different drivers, and um, with with PCOS, um, it can be many things. Like, and I, but I don't want to also pigeonhole it. So I'll just, mm. for example, PCOS. It was very. Um, common for people to relate like people being overweight with PCOS which is not the case I've got many clients who are lean and have PCOS um, so and they you know their markers they may, they have high insulin and they've got excess androgens and that shows on their blood work because um, there are a couple of different types of PCOS yeah that as well right. yeah definitely you know is it post-pill PCOS you know the pill has induced these um, signs and symptoms of PCOS is it um, is it stress related is it inflammation or is it insulin um, resistance so there's a few different types of PCOS which again we'll cover in the course <laughs> um, and you address them you know a little bit different depending on what it is um, so and then so PCOS is more of a hormone imbalance whereas endometriosis is more of an inflammate like inflammatory response in the body and so um, yeah you need to address that slightly different as well where is where in the body is um, what's driving that inflammation and more often than not with endo it starts in the gut yep. Um, so you need to look at gut health and there's a big correlation between endometriosis, um, interstitial cystitis and SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yep. So those three kind of, you know, link all together. So if you are, um, if you yourself are experiencing endo or you have a, a client that is, you really need to be addressing the gut issues that come with that. Yeah. 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 So lots of different lots of different one types of menstrual cycle dysfunction and it could be coming from a number of different sources. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is what like what are some of the risk factors for some of these mm -hmm. um menstrual cycle dysfunction? Are the risk factors kind of the same with just different presentations? Or are there different risk factors for developing, like, say, the different types of PCOS or endometriosis? Like, is it hereditary? Is it to do with, like, their lifestyle, diet, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of different things? Yeah. So I guess the main one, like, some of the main ones are subfertility. So, um, you know, struggling to fall pregnant. Infertility is kind of like like not used anymore it's more like they say subfertility because infertility is very definite like mm. you can't have kids mm -hmm. so subfertility um struggling to fall pregnant is a big one especially with pcos um and um if left unaddressed and then with endo um again uh subfertility is is common if endo is not addressed um but also um cancer as well like mm. um you it's um there's a big correlation between like uh breast cancer and endo as well um so yeah it needs to be 
addressed. Yeah, and when you say that, like, it is very hard to say, like, the C word. Like, I understand when we were talking about some of these signs and symptoms before, you know, when we were talking about headaches, when we were talking about weight gain, like, rapid weight lane, weight lane, weight gain, weight loss, Mm -hmm. like, that is a sign, like, you know, it's a red flag for potential cancer as well. Like, headaches is a potential red flag for cancer. Um, that's why if you are experiencing symptoms, obviously don't go and Google it and be like, oh, I have cancer, mm. but, you know, definitely get it checked out and dive deeper into why you are experiencing these symptoms because, you know, you might just sort of think, oh, it's, it's a hormone imbalance. I'm having hormonal acne. I'm having hormonal migraines, mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. Whereas, you know, there potentially could be something yeah, underlying it, there as well. Yeah. And another one I didn't say mention as well is autoimmune disease. Like mm. it's definitely, there's a, definitely a big correlation between menstrual cycle dysfunction and autoimmune disease as well, especially with endo. Yeah. Um, because it, well, endometriosis is an autoimmune disease. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So just to sort of rehash endo specifically, would you say that that is more of a, you know, autoimmune disease that is kind of a risk factor would be more so hereditary or would you say it's it's more lifestyle um i'd say it's a combination of both like yes it can be um hereditary Mm -hmm. um but your lifestyle will play a massive role in um in the way you manage endo so there's no actual cure for endometriosis mm-hmm. um but you can manage it and like i have clients with the a living proof of managing their their symptoms so um while surgery can definitely um uh, alleviate pain it doesn't mean that it cures endo it will come back yeah. if you don't manage certain things so the gut thyroid clearance of estrogen that kind of stuff yeah. And so just as like, I guess, uh, a recap of what endo actually is. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um, endometrial tissue. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's yep. implanting cells. Yeah, yeah. cells that's implanting outside the uterus where mm-hmm. it's supposed to be yeah. contained to. Right. So it can it, it can become, you know, over the ovaries or on the fallopian tube, sometimes in the abdominal cavity. Yep, bowels. It's even been found in limbs, so like legs, um, wow. arms, and even some cases on the brain as well, which is crazy really? to think that. So, yeah. Um, so they're kind of like little lesions, little implants, right? Yeah, it's, it's tissue. So it's mm. tissue. It's the cells of the endometrium lining that grow on the outside. And so it's like it's like tissue growth. And so um, there's different stages of endo. And I've had a client with stage four endo. And um, she nearly went down the line of getting a full hysterectomy. So, and it was found on her on her bowels as well. So it can if if unaddressed Mm. and and this is the this is the hard thing because and don't ever for ladies that are listening to this don't ever let someone gaslight you a doctor gaslight you and telling you that it's in your head or you the symptoms that you're experiencing are just you know it's normal because Mm. endometriosis takes about 12 years to get diagnosed that's how bad and well I don't want to say bad but that that's Delayed? Delayed, yeah. Like, because, you know... Or missed. We, 
we go in, we say that we're experiencing X, Y, Z. A doctor tells us that this is just normal. It comes with being a woman. And then it just, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse as the mm. years go on. And then by the time someone has the answers, they've gone through all of this kind of trauma because it can be traumatic. Mm. And, you know, they may be at stage three, stage four endo by then. So, yeah, um, yeah if ever in doubt, I'd go st- – <laughs> Get a go to a gynecologist and you'll get more answers and just keep asking for um you know to see someone that's a specialist or something like that. Don't let don't let someone tell you that it that it's normal. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of relate like I kind of relate everything back to I guess my sort of what can I call it like area mm-hmm. and you know. Sometimes, you know, people, and I've had it so many times, clients come to me with, whether it's a doctor or another clinician or someone telling them that their pain is in their head if they don't have any physical evidence of there should needing to be any pain there. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like they might have an ultrasound or a scan or a x-ray or something like that and nothing's actually found on that, but they're still experiencing these symptoms of pain. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, well, it's all in your head. Yeah. And it's not good enough. Like, it's not good it enough. It really isn't. And, you know, it comes with not understanding these things mm-hmm. is that they're dismissed. Yeah. And so being able to understand that there is a reason, you know, for these things or there is an explanation and then addressing um, that. Because it's not good enough. Like, no. it's all in your head. <laughs> like, okay, well, how do I fix it? Yeah. All the heavy bleeds, you know, it's normal. Like, I think it comes down to education. Like, doctors aren't educated on um, on this stuff. So, I don't entirely blame them. Mm. I just think there's a yeah, there's a big gap between education and doctors not being educated on menstrual cycle dysfunction. Mm. Um, so, I don't blame – I blame them. But I um, – yeah, like these symptoms that are classified as normal need to be, yeah, not classified as normal and yeah. paid attention to. But that's why we're doing what yeah. we do. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, hats off to doctors. They need to know a lot of shit yeah. about a lot of shit. And so, you know, it is a lifelong study, right? Like my best friend is a doctor and, you know, her – knowledge on anatomy is was mm-hmm. like three months in medical school yeah uh sorry three months three weeks yeah in medical school right so she'll come to me for advice on anatomy yeah. and all that sort of stuff um you know an orthopedic surgeon let's say like he's obviously spent time in that field mm-hmm. so it's it's i guess referring out and finding the experts in that specific field because you know you can have general specialists and then you can have like specialists in certain fields so seeking out those people who have more of an a specialized education and understanding in that particular topic that you're looking for and hopefully you know uh doctors and you know even as coaches you know if you if there's a specific i guess area that you're not competent in mm-hmm. i mean you know, seek out people who specialize in that. So if you're, you know, say you're not confident with training a woman during pregnancy, you know, there are two ways you can go about it. You can seek out someone and refer them on if that's not sort of the niche you want to work with 
or you can also seek out someone learn from them and then apply it and help your client that way don't just kind of like wing it if that kind of makes sense or like dismiss anything that you don't sort of know or understand Mm -hmm. about because you really could be doing your client a disservice yeah 100 percent. and as a coach we need to be building a community of you know practitioners to be able to refer out and i can't say that you know like enough but um you know if i'm not comfortable with something like i've got a doctor that i refer to for blood work because i know she's going to do all the blood work but it took me ages to find that doctor Mm. And then I've got a physiotherapist who I, I use as well. Like, because at the end of the day, I want my client to come back to to, to me still, but I I'm comfortable with referring out as mm-hmm. well. So we will talk about that in the course as well. Like as a coach, you need to be building this kind of network mm-hmm. um, of practitioners that you align with and that you trust as well. Um, but it does it does take time. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean. I mean, this is why I have you, right? Because like, you know, my realm, my specialty is anatomy, biomechanics, whereas, you know, the the physiology, the menstrual cycle, that's why, you know, I've designed this course with Faye because I 100% trust her to bring the best because it's it's not it's not my wheelhouse yeah right so that's why you know anyone who new clients that come to me and are asking me about all this stuff like I have a base knowledge understanding Mm -hmm. but you know you're the expert so if anyone comes to me I'm like go see Faye go Mm -hmm. see Faye Um, and that's what again like you know being a part of the AWPT community is so valuable Mm -hmm. as a coach because you have you know right now end of 2021 we have 350 coaches who you can ask questions to in our community and you can you know you have access to Faye you can ask her questions in the Facebook group you know you can talk with other coaches if there's another coach in your area or you know you need help with something Mm -hmm. you know ask because it's just I think yeah networking is just so valuable Mm -hmm. and you know I have people reach out on Instagram and they're like I want an in-person coach, like in, and I'm like, well, where are you? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, who out of my AWPT community can I refer to? Who do I know that knows this stuff? That knows, you know, has I will I kind of know what they know? Who can I refer them to? Yeah, um, in whatever city yeah. you're in. So yeah, definitely like really important to build that. Mm-hmm build that community and build you know that referral network yeah definitely as well mm-hmm. all right moving back on to menstrual cycle <laughs> actually no I had another point that I was going to make there so uh, in terms of you know the surgery that we were mm-hmm. sort of talking about um, and endometriosis I guess would you say that surgery was kind of like one of the first options like previously and now it's sort of known that we need to like dive a little bit deeper into more of these natural solutions Mm -hmm. and I guess what are these natural solutions because we could sort of say like you know people being put on the pill you know excision surgery laparoscopic surgery Mm -hmm. um what's the other one abdominal surgery for severe cases Mm -hmm. but now you you know you said you work with quite a lot of clients who are managing Mm -hmm. so I guess how are they managing it yeah so 
endo is probably one of those ones where like the um, conventional treatment and the non-conventional treatment can kind of marry together and work well together. So um, yes, have the surgery if you need the surgery. It is going to alleviate the pain. But then add in those protocols that will help manage it. So uh, a big one is um, addressing underlying gut issues. So if someone does have SIBO, you need to be looking at um, uh, nutrient deficiencies. So are they deficient in um, nutrients, um, magnesium, Bs, um, zinc, that kind of stuff. Um, so um, NAC has been... Um, you know, used a lot with people with endometriosis and, and good um, success with that. And N-acetylcysteine, that's what NAC stands for. Mm -hmm. um, it is, um, it helps our body produce um, glutathione and um, glutathione's our, you know, and natural, not natural, but our, and our body's anti, and the most, how do I put this? The most um, powerful antioxidant in the body. Okay. And so NAC helps with that. Um, it's also um, a, a a biofilm agent. I'm going a little bit um, into Love the nitty gritty, but the like nerds, yeah. <laughs> when there's uh, bacteria, this bacteria has a, a, like a biofilm, protective biofilm, and so there's certain supplements that can break down that biofilm. So then, when you do antimicrobials or kill off that bacteria, um, then those antimicrobials will work. Um, what else is there? Um, yeah, so addressing underlying gut issues with a, a gut protocol using antimicrobials, address the nutrient deficiencies, support um, estrogen detoxification, whether that be addressing, you know, is their liver burden? Do they need, um, you know, what's their stomach acid like? Like, are they producing enough stomach acid? Um yeah. And this would all be done through blood work, right? So with endo, you can do blood work. You can definitely pick up on things on blood work. Um, you may want to do a GI map as well, which is like a stool test. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can kind of use both of them. And um, there's there's lots of different supplements for, uh, again, it's like case dependent, like what is that person experiencing? And there's things that you can use um, meds-wise. And if someone is kind of starting off on their journey, sometimes I, like they'll be on magnesium and I'll tell them to increase, like double their magnesium five days out from their period to just help with uh, pain a little bit more. Um, yeah, lots of different things. And so who would be the person or the people let's say that you could go to to sort of discover this type of thing like you know you spoke about a gynecologist before mm -hmm. what sort of other practitioners would you sort of seek out if you're a coach to if you're a coach issues? i'd get a good uh like a naturopath on board as well this is someone that can definitely help with blood work and um like gi mapping stool testing yeah. or some sort of like health coach slash practitioner that is trained up in um, blood work and um you know supplementation yeah. um so yeah such as yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not a naturopath but i am a health coach and yeah. i've definitely done a lot of study on supplements and um stuff like that but um knowing knowing yeah just having uh someone who I hate this word holistic yeah <laughs> but um having Look, do you know what okay <laughs> the word 
yeah, cringe holistic. <laughs> yeah. But my first ever, like when I was starting this, I think it was like the holistic physio, like my Instagram okay, handle for my yeah. business account. It was like, am I going to be the holistic <laughs> physio? Because I wanted to incorporate like, you know, before it was even a buzzword, like mindset into mm-hmm. training and nutrition. Yeah. Like I knew there was that third pillar like years and years and years ago before, you know, now it's like just a given, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a coach, you have to incorporate mindset because it's not just about training and nutrition. Yeah. So it was like, you know, holistic, but like, it's true. Like you want to, you want to think about it as the whole person, person. not, yeah. you're not just treating a symptom. You're not just treating like a disorder or dysfunction or whatever. Yeah. You're treating a whole person. Mm-hmm. And that's and why, yeah, yeah. Asking your client about their lifestyle is so important. Yeah. And that's like, um, you've just hit the nail on the head there. Like, with with being whatever practitioner you are, you really do have to look at the whole kind of um, wheel, so to speak, the spokes of all, like, you know, the wheel, the whole individual, like what stress are they um, going through in their life? What's their relationship like with their self and with others? Um, what's their self-talk like? Like, I know this is getting like deeper, but we like, we have to go there as a health coach mm. because if someone is doing all this kind of supplementation protocol yet they're going home every day and having an argument because they're stuck in a relationship that is um Mm. you know just shit Mm. (laughs) to put it um plainly but that's going to hinder their healing process Mm. yeah so um yeah all like facets needs to be um 100 percent. again i can relate this to like physical physio stuff whereas you know i will treat clients for let's say plantar fasciitis Mm -hmm. right just to give an example you know i can do all the whatever it is that i need to do ankle mobility work you know muscle strengthening calf strengthening you know give them orthotics all this sort of stuff but if they're going and standing on their feet for 16 hours a day because Mm -hmm. of their job Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's a loading thing right it's like you know they you know they can change that but it's kind of hard to change that but, you know, you can do everything, mm-hmm. like you said, like with the protocols and like all the right things. Mm-hmm. But if there's some aspect that's not being addressed, yeah. then it's not going to work or yeah. you're not going to get the results that you're, mm-hmm. that you're after. Yeah. And when I intake client of myself, like my intake forms are very, very thorough and they probably feel a little bit invasive as well. <laughs> but I'm asking about your relationship with your partner. I'm asking about um, your work and, you know, is is their stress at work like I'm asking all these other things about body image and stuff like that because it all it all matters mm. so yeah mm. it's very do they have children because that's stressful yeah like yeah you're asking these people to go on a restrictive diet because they're you know and sometimes you do have to go on a restrictive diet if you're doing a gut protocol because certain foods will flare up your gut so if you're asking a mother who's cooking for two kids and a husband to do a restrictive diet mm you know, that could be a stress in itself. So you've got to weigh up, like, is it better if we go down this path or we go down this path? So, yeah, there's lots of things to address when, um, yeah, going through a health protocol. Yeah, 100%. Just like, you know, on your intake form when you're talking to a new client, like, what's their ability to train however many times Tons. a week because of, you know, the time restrictions? Like, if they're, you know, a mum or a parent they have a full-time job um you know they've got to 
do other things like how much time do they have to train like you can't just give them a five day a week like standardized <laughs> yeah. program if that's not going to fit in with their lifestyle yeah. as what as as well right so um you know you might need to change up the program to make it three days full body rather than like five days upper lower split just to mm-hmm. you know be able to make it fit into their lifestyle something that is sustainable, sustainable. Yeah. for them as well in the long term yeah because I think coaches forget that these people don't have lives like we do we have as a coach as a you know we were talking about the other day <laughs> we have quite a flexible schedule, schedule. and yeah. so the and, and I see this a lot like coaches push the way that they train onto their clients and mm. they're not actually listening to their clients needs and wants Oofed. yep so <laughs> I know that sounds harsh, yep. but telling someone to train five days a week, hit 10,000 steps, do cardio AM, PM, like mm. to shed some weight. It's just, it's. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, I don't know about you guys, but I became a coach because I wanted to have that freedom to be able to train myself. So I've set up my lifestyle mm-hmm. so that I have that freedom to train, you know, whenever I want to train, I want to train 1030 in the morning you know, lunchtime, whatever it is, they don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it, it doesn't work. Like, it, it's different and you can't get angry at them if they can't hit those, those you know, things yeah. that you've sort of set out set to out. be like yourself. And that's mm-hmm. why, like, the train with me movement, <laughs> it's like, but you're not your client. A coach has a completely different way of training because you've been doing it for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Like this is your life. Like yep. this is, this is, um, you know, there's no, you know, you became a coach because there's not really a separation between your training and your life. Like you love training. That's what you love to do. It's your passion. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really do it for money because yep. like, <laughs> you, you know, you could be making a lot more money, money. than something else. Yeah. But um, you love it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're a good coach, obviously you can make really good money. Um, but, yeah, your client doesn't have that same luxury. They don't have the same ability. Maybe they don't have the same ability mm-hmm. to recover mm-hmm. or something like that. Hundred, so Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I've been guilty of it in the past, mm. like pushing my own beliefs onto Mm. a client and now whenever I have a new client I always say to myself this is an individual this is not me treat this person as the person that you see in front of them Mm. and um yeah everyone's different like there's when I was doing when I was doing you know first started like not just online coaching but like you know coaching in person as well I would say what is your previous training look like? It's mm-hmm. it's one of the questions on the, the mentorship intake form mm-hmm. as well. It's like, what has your previous training been look like? How do you enjoy training? Because, you know, even though we love training in the gym, we love resistance training, we love strength training, you know, sometimes that's not the way that other people enjoy training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're not going to enjoy it, then um, they're not going to stick to it. As well, or it's a lot more difficult to stick mm-hmm. to it and it's a struggle yeah um so yeah definitely sort of asking just ask them how do you enjoy training what do you like what do you mm-hmm. like doing maybe you can come to like a compromise in yeah. the middle like you know oh if we do this then we can do some hit maybe or yeah. like some battle ropes or 
yeah kettlebell swings whatever and taking their life into consideration like if you've got a shift worker Mm. that is coming off the back end of a shift and you're expecting her to do xyz like it's just it's probably going to be more detrimental to her health rather than beneficial so Mm. yeah sometimes coming off a late shift straight like or a long shift straight to the gym is not in their best interest you know sometimes it's like okay you need to rest Mm -hmm. like you know you're ability to recover or to perform even yep. is going to be it's just not worth it yeah and it's it's hindered like we can't argue the fact that shift workers mm. they're more they are their health is impacted the the research is there to show that they are more susceptible to you know health issues due to the disruption in their you know natural circadian rhythm and um the fact that they work you know night shift um it's yeah, shift workers are a whole nother ball. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still trying to, um, w- you know, figure it out myself. Like, what's best for that person, mm-hmm. and also educating them on like listening to their body more. And I mean, I don't want to go into it now, but shift workers get a lot of menstrual cycle dysfunction as well because of the disruption to their natural circadian rhythm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a whole another thing. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe we can go into it in yeah. our next episode. But um, did we just completely go off track? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? That's what we're here for. Yeah, I love it. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it back uh, to finish off too, because we spoke in depth about endometriosis. We kind of touched on PCOS, PCOS, sorry, and like the different types. So I just wanted to again, I guess, wrap up with what are the different types and what are the different drivers of PCOS, just to finish up. Mm-hmm. So there is pill like post pill pcos mm, so i think we'll leave like the pill to maybe next podcast because yep. that's a whole podcast in itself mm-hmm. yeah yeah so cool. there's post pill um and that's basically uh, the synthetic hormones that you've been putting into your body have disrupted um your natural hormone cycle and you may have you know um excess androgens due to the, the pill so say if someone's on a progestin pill then they potentially could have excess androgens which is quite common with progestin only pill um then you've got insulin resistance so um it's obviously insulin that's driving those excess androgens um and um you know disrupting luteinizing hormone and then you've got um inflammation and um, that could be, uh, you know, underlying gut issues yep, that could be driving that. that. And then the last one is adrenal. So um, is it, um, I mean, it, uh, the word adrenal fatigue is not like, is it, is it some sort of disruption? Stress related? Stress related, yeah. yeah. So you want to be looking at the stresses in the person's life is, you know. Yeah. And again, that comes them. back to the lifestyle factors we talked about before, like the relationship, the work stresses, training and dieting our stresses, anything mm-hmm. that throws our body out of homeostasis mm-hmm. is considered a stressor. So anything that changes our, I guess, baseline physiology, yep. we could almost say, like we want to stay within this certain state. We want to stay within certain pH levels in the body, within certain temperature ranges, otherwise like throwing that off is going to cause stress to the body like certain let's say blood pressure and heart rate and all these sorts of ranges yeah and that's not to say that you can't have like 
two drivers as well for PCOS. Like you could have insulin and stress. At the end of the day, yeah. high insulin is going to be a stress on the body anyway. But yeah. um, it's not to say that you can't have a few different things as, that's driving it. So yeah. And yeah. also as well, keeping in mind that increases in stress and insulin aren't necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. It's just chronically elevated levels of stress and insulin we need stress yeah like stress is vital for us to function we need stress mm-hmm. to get out of bed in the morning if you didn't yeah. have stress you wouldn't get out of bed and we need cortisol. cortisol as well because yeah. cortisol i think has been like demonized we need it it's actually an anti-inflammatory as well in the body it's just when we constantly mm. have elevated cortisol yeah. um, levels it's meant to rise and it's meant to fall. Yeah. same with insulin it's meant to rise when we eat a carb meal to mm-hmm. shuffle that those carbs into the cells mm-hmm. and use them for energy or store them but you know they're not meant to stay elevated, elevated. over a longer period of time mm-hmm. definitely good one all cool. right um so if you guys have any questions uh feel free to pop them you know if we're if you're watching youtube pop them in the comment box if there's anything else you want to hear pop them there um on the podcast Feel free to, I mean, please subscribe and like and share <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, you can find Faye on Instagram at Faye Sheridan. I'm Kaylee Physio. Um, and yeah, we are part of AWPT University. Yeah. So thanks for joining. Thank we'll you. S- we'll be back for episode three next week. Do we want to talk about the pill? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Or we could talk about training. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see how we feel on the day. Yeah. <laughs> Catch ya. <laughs>